Hello, friends and family, and welcome to episode three or four of the Everyone's Wrong podcast, a place where we convene to discuss all the bullshit, the left bullshit and the right bullshit, equal opportunity bullshit discussers over here. Um, The reason I say three or four is because uh, that may change based on your access to me. So, you know, the VIPs, a lot of very select people, very select few people have seen uh, the fourth episode, which was a bit too controversial for me and my job hunt to post on the internet right now. Um, if you want it, let me know. If, if you guys are chopping at the bit to hear my wisdom, you let me know, and I'll give you the private link to episode... the last episode. In any case. Um, so there's a few things that I wanted to discuss today. First of all, I wanted to touch on a few Trump things, and before that, I kind of was just doing some musing about um, this podcast experiment that I'm doing and the direction that I want to go in with it. And um, so I was thinking, like, so you know how South Park at one point recently was like, fuck this, we're not, we're not doing Trump shit because it just, it would take up far too much of our show. You know, South Park's always very um, pertinent and, and very, like, up on current events. Um but they were like, we're not, we're not going to be doing that because there's, there's too much Trump stuff, and we don't want this to be the Donald Trump satire show, you know. Um, I mean, SNL is the Donald Trump satire show now. That's what if you go on Google or YouTube and you look up SNL, that's what all the suggested links are going to be. It's their most viewed videos by far are the Alec Baldwin Trump videos. Um, so I was doing a lot of thinking about that, and uh, you know, you've probably noticed since you avid listener really care about this podcast and and uh the frequency of episode releases that i have been completely slacking lately and a lot of the reason for that um is that i'm lazy and there aren't enough hours in the day to be honest but uh another big reason is that uh with the current way that the media is and the way that with around donald trump especially the media is um there's gonna be a new thing like every day you know and it's always gonna be a bunch of bullshit so like to what degree do I really want to waste my mental energy talking about Donald Trump? There are a ton of podcasts that just talk about Trump day in and day out, and from a positive perspective and negative perspective. I mean, I listen to a few conservative podcasts as well as a few liberal podcasts and my regular libertarian stuff, and um, on both sides, it is they're all the Trump show at this point, you know, and the ones that I really like are the ones that are not really the Trump show. And I don't know how much I want to be the Trump show. So, um, I'm on top of that, I'm not a journalist, you know, and like, I don't really care about journalism other than that. I like to, to criticize the work that the mainstream media does. You know, I'm not trying to necessarily do it myself and I feel sorry for you if this is a news show to you. Um, so I don't know. I, like, I think I'm going to, I'm going to lay off the Trump stuff a little bit and maybe just let some of the big stories just completely fly by without acknowledging them because by and large, they're all, a lot of them are a big waste of time. Um, also pardon the background noise. It's summer now, I guess, late spring, summer school's about to let out. And I live in one of these big, you know, courtyard two wing flatbush apartment buildings, which means that it is, it is never quiet. And I do have a pretty sweet kind of little DIY home studio set up here. But I mean, there's, there's not much to be done about, uh, the fact that there are like a thousand people who live in this building and they're all loud and they're all outside being loud now. And my 
window faces the courtyard, which is nice in some respects because I don't hear all the cars, but also uh, I get to hear a lot of weird stuff. Um, anyone who's fighting, if you have a courtyard facing window and your window is open, if you're fighting, the whole courtyard, like everyone else with a courtyard facing window can hear your fight. It's super interesting and I hear some weird stuff. And also it comes out like very kind of distorted and reverberated and like eerie sounding it's very cool and you so you hear that and then like obviously someone's always playing future it, it there's a very interesting soundscape coming from there maybe i'll start a sep- second podcast maybe i'll record this and release it as some kind of art you know new york brooklyn apartment courtyard soundscapes there's really interesting shit people say weird stuff there's always some dog barking there's some weird like cat animal noise that i hear all the time like every night multiple times per night and I've been it sounds like a cat yowling but I can't imagine that this unless we've got some kind of schizophrenic cat who's just out there like yelling to the heavens is the cat equivalent of like the dude on the subway saying the n-word and all that anyway um so I do want to talk about uh Trump a little bit um so today recording this right now it's tuesday at 7 30 i was gonna wait until after the um seth rich stuff dropped that was supposed to drop today to record this but i am now feeling like maybe it never will drop and also that doesn't really matter for well more on that later anyway so yesterday was this uh terrorist attack i think they decided that that, yeah it's a it was a terrorist attack um at the ariana grande concert and i don't want to talk about it that much because i mean go anywhere else there's everyone's talking about it right now uh other than that um donald trump said something about it which he's being lambasted for by a lot of my facebook friends and a lot of people on the left um so he said that well we'll play the clip so many young beautiful innocent people living and enjoying their lives murdered by evil losers in life i won't call them monsters because they would like that term. They would think that's a great name. I will call them from now on losers because that's what they are. They're losers. And we'll have more of them. But they're losers. Just remember that. Um, so yeah, Trump's basically saying, uh, we're not going to call these people monsters, we're going to call them evil losers. And it sounds like he's reading, like this is a teleprompter speech, but I believe that this is one of the teleprompter speeches that he probably wrote with his own Donald Trump tiny little hands, um, because this sounds like exactly the kind of thing he would say off the cuff. We're seeing a little a little campaign trail Donald Trump here. Um, he says he's going to call them evil losers, just losers, because Monster is giving them too much credit and they're just losers. And he's spot on with this. And a lot of people in my newsfeed are like, oh, this, this guy's so immature. He sounds like a high schooler or a middle schooler or whatever. Um, he's like a six-year-old complaining about the you know, bully in the playground or whatever. But uh, I mean, this really mirrors a lot of the language that we would see uh, from the left during Obama's presidency where people wouldn't want to say the terrorist names and it would be like, you know, let's not make this about the terrorist. We should treat the the terrorist in as diminutive a way as possible. We don't want them to, to be like getting, you know, credit for doing something. Let's make this about the victims. Let's make this about whatever. So, I mean, I think that what Trump's saying kind of is is along those veins, you know, calling someone a monster. A monster is a powerful thing. It's something worth fearing, you know, and and 
I think to treat these people with anything more than than scorn and pity is uh, inappropriate. So yeah, Trump's using childish language to describe them, but is he wrong? He's right. You should agree with him. Let's let's drop the partisanship for just one second because we don't need to. He's doing plenty of stuff that you can criticize him for. You know, we're we're gonna talk about. I don't even want to talk about the Comey stuff, to be honest. We're not going to talk about the Comey stuff. But, like, he's doing plenty of stuff that we can talk about, that we can criticize him for. But this doesn't happen to be one of them. Like, let's aim for consistency before we aim for partisanship, you know? Let's let's care more about, about being consistent in our principles. And let's give credit where credit's due. And I think this was a perfectly fine way to address the situation, especially considering how mili- militaristic Donald Trump tended to be on the campaign trail towards this whole situation. I feel like the way he's approaching it now should be really great for everyone on the left. Um, I mean, additionally, every time something like this happens, you have a lot of news media trying to, like, you know, analyze this and get in the mind of the terrorist. And, like, you know, we we have all this talk. I think, like, I'm all for tolerance, you know, and I have a ton of Muslim friends, and I like the religion, you know, I, I don't have a problem with it at all, fundamentally. But I also don't have a problem with the term Islamic terror. And I think that the backlash, the like anti-Islamophobe, like the pro-Islam kind of rhetoric that always surfaces on the left every time something like this happens is really inappropriate. Because it's like, on one hand, yes, we know that it is a minority of people of Islamic faith who adhere to these beliefs and that it is you know this minority is a very vocal minority and a very active minority and they're doing all these things in the name of this religion kind of dragging the religion through the mud in the process right that's true but at the same time they are doing it in the name of the religion and i mean the people who see attacks like this and who think like oh shit like this mosque in my town is is fucked and i'm gonna go attack a a muslim guy that needs to be addressed, but at the same time, we don't need to respond to every terrorist attack with with waves of people calling to be more tolerant of Islam. That's not an appropriate response. It is, I think, an insensitive response. Um, Chelsea Clinton yesterday had a whole big speech. Don't even get me started on Chelsea Clinton, by the way. What what is she doing? Someone needs. It's unfortunate that her birth invalidates her from ever holding any kind of office in my mind, but it totally does. Fuck Chelsea Clinton. Go away. You have enough money. Don't don't get involved in politics. You're done. You're written off. You got a big fat paycheck by virtue of your birth that also happens to invalidate you from holding public office without receiving at the very least my personal scorn. And I would think the scorn and disapproval of probably millions of Americans. Step out, Chelsea Clinton. Go into the woods with your mom. In any case, um, she, on the same day of this attack had a whole lot to say about how uh, we should not be tolerant of Islamophobia. And while that is a conversation that needs to be had, I just think that it is insensitive because the fact is that there are people whose children are dead right now, little kids who are just trying to watch whoever, Selena Gomez, Ariana Grande, right, Um, who who are not alive right now, because of things that people did in the name of this religion. And I understand that they're not the majority of that religion, and that's not what the religion's really about, and you have extremists of all faiths and stuff, but, like, if every time, like... I don't know, man, because you don't see this as much, but, like, if there were a Christian dude who, like, 
went and burned down a mosque and at uh, the same day everyone was running around going like oh no we need to love christian people and let's not persecute christian people like we don't need to go out and burn christian people at the stake because of this but like let's not celebrate them for the day you know like we don't need to go out don't go beat a muslim guy up because there was a terrorist attack but like you don't need to it doesn't become uh, like an islamic rights thing just just give it a break for one day, man. Let people mourn, you know? And, like, I feel like it might be counterproductive. Like, you might be drawing attention to yourself, even, and to... If you don't want the attack to be associated with Islam, then maybe every time there's a terrorist attack, we shouldn't have a bunch of talking heads on the left talking about how we need to be tolerant of Islam, you know? Just don't say anything. Keep it quiet. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about, very briefly, another Trump thing, and then we're going to get into what I really wanted to focus this episode about, which you guys are just going to love. I'm gonna, Everyone's going to love me for this one, but we'll get there, um, is the uh, Trump's Trump's little Middle East tour that he's taking right now. It's his first trip, his first like trip overseas in the capacity of being president, I guess. And um, so he we went to Saudi Arabia, and like they really, you know, laid on the fanfare for him because obviously the Saudi king or Shah or whatever he is, the Saudi king uh, knows the way to Donald Trump's heart, and I'm sure Donald really enjoyed being over there and the sword dancing and everything else that happened. Um, but and so while he was there he gave a speech the speech calls out a whole bunch of people just talking all about terrorism he uses the phrase islamic terror islamic extremism in front of the saudis which is great everyone's super distracted and everyone on the left is rightly pointing out trump's hypocrisy and everyone on the right is uh praising him for you know being so hard on on radical islamic terror right there with the saudis you know but the fact of the matter is there's no force behind this and uh you could say whatever you want the saudis are going to keep funding and giving weapons to terrorists this is going to keep happening now the real reason that he's there and which i just think is going really underreported because i've seen all this stuff about the speech and about the ceremony and, and all that is the fact that he was there to make a 110 billion dollar weapons deal and that's a huge problem. And anyone who, like, maybe came from a libertarian mindset and voted for Trump for that reason, this should really suck for you, man. Where are these weapons going to go? They're gonna, we're going to be fighting people who have these weapons in five or ten years. I promise. I know this to be, to be true. And it just kind of sucks to see Donald Trump. I mean, he has a million different flaws and he might be a shitty human being. But the one good thing that you could say about him is is that he wasn't an establishment politician. But, like, what has he actually done, you know? I mean, for me, my main reason that I... I was never pro-Trump. I didn't vote for the guy. But um, the reason that I wasn't, like, anti-Trump and that I thought he might have been a better choice than Hillary Clinton or at least wasn't willing to vote for Hillary Clinton in order to stop him from becoming president was because... um. I live in New York, first of all, but uh, secondly, because I thought he would be better on foreign policy, right? That was like the only potential redeeming quality uh, of of a Trump presidency, or at least the main one. And what has he really done? You know, he has bombed Syria the same day that Hillary Clinton said we should definitely bomb Syria. He bombed Syria. Great. And uh, now he's made a weapons deal with the Saudis, and then he went to kiss Israel's ass right after that, you know? Who is this guy? He's just another dude he's not doing anything different he's just another guy going through the fucking motions and maybe like the 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 
superficial aspect of it is a little bit different because he's using the language of the right instead of the language of the left, but his actions are the same. This guy's got, he, he got got. Trump, Trump got got. As soon as he bombed Syria, we knew it was over. They got him. And that's it. And now he's just going, doing all the same things that, that Obama did, just using different words for what it is. And that's a fucking shame. That's a damn shame. And uh, it really exposes a lot of the doublethink of the Trump supporters that they're still going with this. Because, I mean, especially after the Syria thing and now this, I mean, these people are bending over backwards to continue to retroactively justify his actions, even though a, a lot of the reason that they claimed to have supported them during the campaign was because he was espousing views that were in direct contradiction to the things that he's done since he took office. Uh, and... I mean, while at the same time he was all he was contradicting himself too, because he was saying, "Oh, we need to be non-interventionist, but oh, we also need to go and bomb the shit out of ISIS," you know. So sure, he was contradicting himself, but like it seems like a kind of selective, uh, like retroactive cherry picking of things that he said. You need to do some mental gymnastics to to find a cogent Trump campaign narrative that supports his current actions, and I don't think that those people were there before he took them. I don't think that those the the people were cheering him on for for whatever he said in in Saudi Arabia yesterday uh would have loved an arms deal for 110 billion dollars in in October and it's just a shame man and I think it's like a lot of it is is like cult of personality kind of stuff and a lot of it is is rallying against the establishment and I understand the latter more than the former of those things um but if you're rallying against the establishment and then this guy's going into office and he's doing exactly what Hillary Clinton and uh, Clapper and uh, all these people want him to do, then what does it matter? Okay, so um, what I wanted to talk about this episode, um, everyone, if you could just go into your kitchen and get a roll of tinfoil and craft it into a hat before this portion of the show, that would be great. Um, okay, in all seriousness, I want to talk about Seth Rich. Um, please bear with me for this. I don't... Let's just... Let's have a conversation, a one-sided conversation. Um, I will preface this by saying that I do not believe that Seth Rich was murdered in a vast conspiracy theory orchestrated by the DNC or the Clinton family but that I also do not necessarily believe that he was killed in a botched robbery. Um, having said that, let's backtrack a little. Uh, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure that everyone does, because Hannity has been running his mouth all week about it, um, Seth Rich was a DNC staffer who was murdered almost a year ago, maybe over a year ago. Maybe it was just a, I think it was just a year. Actually, I think it was like a year and a few months. Let's check. Okay, it was almost a year ago. Um, so Seth Rich was a DNC staffer who was murdered in what the DC police have claimed was a botched robbery while he walked home from a bar at, I think, two in the morning, if memory serves. Um, this was last July. He was shot twice in the back, and it was called a robbery gone wrong. Now, here's where we start getting into things that we don't know. Um, people on the left have said that everything I'm about to say is a conspiracy theory and should not merit any further thought. 
people on the right have been uh, chomping at the bit, calling Hillary Clinton a murderer, and uh, pretty much assuming the absolute worst. Now, the reality of the situation has yet to be seen, but I think that in terms of the evidence that we have, everyone should be somewhere in the middle about this. So, um, here's what we know. He was shot twice in the back, robbery gone wrong. He was alive for 90 minutes after police arrived, but there is no body cam or security camera footage. Now, we also know that the cops at the time were wearing body cameras. Shortly after he was killed, his laptop was confiscated from his home immediately. It was like a half hour after he was killed by either the D.C. police or the FBI. That is unclear. We don't know that. But we know that it was confiscated, which seems like a a little bit of a quick response. And also now no one has access to it. No one knows where it went. We know that he had access to all of the emails that were leaked by WikiLeaks 10 days after his death. And we know that those emails were leaked 10 days after his death. Um, WikiLeaks' response to this has been to heavily allude to Seth Rich being their source without ever saying it outright. Um, Julian Assange, when asked about it, I believe said, uh, our sources put themselves at risk when they choose to leak, and when pressed, he just repeated that their sources put themselves at risk when they choose to leak. Uh, and then WikiLeaks subsequently put out a $20,000 reward. I think it was $20,000. I'm not 100% sure. Um, for information about his murder. Um, so this is a the, the theory that uh, Seth Rich was the, the one who actually leaked the DNC emails and that it wasn't the Russians um, has been floating around the ether for a while now. Uh, not just on uh, the Donald subreddit where everyone is super emotional and they only speak in platitudes and absolutes, but uh, among more rational, uh, level-headed people as well. One of the podcasts that I listen to, which I heavily recommend to anyone hearing these words right now, is called the Unfilter Podcast. It is by uh, Jupiter Broadcasting, who are based out of Oregon, I believe, maybe Portland, I think just Oregon, Um, and they're excellent, and it's two guys, one of whom works in broadcasting, the other of whom is like a vlogger kind of dude. And uh, it's basically a clip show where they go through all different clips of all different news that's happened around the uh, the zeitgeist, and they um, analyze it and try to construct a true narrative, or at the very least, point out all of the false false narratives. Um, I think it really speaks volumes to the kind of integrity and nonpartisanship of this show that I, to this day, uh, have no idea where the two hosts' um, political views fall. Um, I don't know who either of them voted for in the election. And uh, I mean, that's great. I think that's the way it should be. Um, I would guess if I had to that one of them is a uh, Sanders-esque progressive and that the other is a libertarian, um, which, again, should kind of speak to the integrity and the nonpartisanship of the show that they agree on so many things that they talk about. But um, I'm really not sure. So they're not really pushing a political agenda. They're kind of just calling bullshit uh, left, right, and center. And anyway, the reason I bring them up, other than to heavily recommend them to anyone listening to this, um, it's a weekly show. It's about two hours long, and it's great, very entertaining, uh, is that they've been talking about the Seth Rich situation for a while. Um, So this isn't something that's just popped up, but it is now a part of the uh, big conversation that everyone's having Because of something that happened last week, a Fox affiliate ran a story about a third-party private investigator named Rob Wheeler who came forward and said that there was an FBI report that showed evidence of contact between Seth Rich and WikiLeaks. 
Um, they also reported Fox wound up picking this up, like main mainstream mainland Fox or whatever they would be called, um, and added that they have an anonymous federal source that confirmed the information that Rob Wheeler was giving them is correct. Um, so this kind of brought it to the national you know, forefront, and now everyone knows Seth Rich's name. And uh, I think the day after, two days after, immediately this story was walked back really hard. Um, turns out Wheeler didn't have direct contact with any of the people that he said he did, and the guy who paid him to go get this information is uh, some Fox pundit or something. I don't I don't remember. The point is it, it came out to be largely bullshit, um, which, I mean, I can concede that, right? That's fair. But that doesn't really explain any of the other shady situations surrounding Rich's murder. Now, uh, another preface. I'm going to continue with this because no one seems to be willing to have this conversation. Because as soon as you open your mouth, you are labeled a conspiracy theorist. One of my good friends told me that this is intellectually beneath me to be believing this. As if I am off, you know, chomping at the bit with Hannity to get Hillary Clinton tried for murder, which I'm not. But I am keeping an open mind. And the fact is I haven't seen anything conclusive to tell me that he was murdered by the DNC or at the uh, will of the DNC or by people who were paid by the DNC. But I also haven't seen anything that would lead me to believe that he was killed in a botched robbery. So how he was killed is still very much up in the air. And I am willing to give credence to any theory until we get more evidence, because what we have right now is not very much. Um, If he was killed in in a robbery gone wrong, why was he shot in the back? And um, additionally, I didn't mention this earlier, he had a large amount of cash on him, an expensive watch, and like some gold chain or something, some piece of expensive jewelry, and none of that was taken. So he wasn't robbed in this robbery gone wrong, and he was shot in the back, which doesn't make much sense to me. Um, I mean, if you're trying to rob someone, I guess I probably don't have a lot of robber friends, but if any of you are robbers and you're listening, if you were trying to rob someone and let's say they just started running away, would your response be to shoot them twice in the back to kill them? Would you turn your robbery into a murder for no reason as well because they didn't wind up taking anything that was on his person? It doesn't make any sense. It, do- it really doesn't add up. Um, additionally, if he was alive for 90 minutes after they, after the cops got to him, why hasn't that security footage being been released yet? Why hasn't, haven't the body cam tapes of the cops been released yet? What did he say in these 90 minutes? Or maybe it was nothing, and maybe we don't need to see it, but you would think that with all of these conspiracy theories floating around that if nothing happened, the best thing they could possibly do would be to release the body tape, the body cam footage. And additionally, I will say that if I saw the body cam footage and there was nothing there, that would tip us in, in, in favor of, you know, no shady doings going on here, no shady business. But the fact of the matter is, there is very little evidence. The only things that we know were that he, he he was killed and that it was in D.C. and that he was shot. That's it. So why should the assumption be that he was killed in a robbery gone wrong? Why should the assumption be that he was killed by the DNC either? We don't know either of these things. But there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that points to his being killed for political purposes, namely that he had security clearance to read and have access to the emails that were leaked to the DNC, that the emails were leaked, uh, were pu- the leaks were published by WikiLeaks 10 days after Rich's death, 
And additionally, and this is the most circumstantial because I wouldn't put it past Assange to intentionally kind of muddy the waters on this, but why would WikiLeaks be offering money for his uh, reward money for, uh, for information about his death? You know, so there is a lot that would suggest that there is more to, to, to this than meets the eye. Now, unfortunately, you can't talk about this now without being labeled a conspiracy theorist and, and without being lambasted and, 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 and you know, treated with, with disdain by people on the left. And I think that that's a little bit silly because, like I said, I mean, we know at the very least that he was not robbed. So why should I believe that he was robbed if he wasn't robbed? Why should I believe that he was killed in a robbery if I know he wasn't robbed? That's it. And you can't even say that without people saying, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Oh, what are you like? You're, you know, some kind of Sean Hannity fanboy and you probably think Benghazi was legit and all this stuff. And uh, I mean, it's just so infuriating that we can't even have the conversation and that I can't voice any kind of doubt over the story that I was given. And these same people were saying, oh, you'll just believe anything, you know. You, this is intellectually beneath you, are just, you know, nodding their heads and fucking walking along and, 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 and listening to the regular line when there's no evidence to support the mainstream conclusion either. There's less evidence to say that this guy was robbed than there's evidence to say that he was killed for a political reason. And I'm, again, not saying that Hillary Clinton had him killed, but it seems much more likely at the very least, as likely that he was killed for political purposes than that he was murdered in some kind of shitty robbery by the worst robbers in the world who somehow left no evidence. If these robbers are so inept also, you'd think they would leave some kind of evidence, right? Or that, I mean, we'd use the, he was alive for 90 minutes, Jesus. If he was alive and he said, oh, I don't know what, what happened, these people tried to rob me and then they shot me, release that, release that, and I'll stop thinking about it. Because I don't want to have to think about this. It's an unpleasant thing to think about, that there are all of these webs of, of deceit and people are getting killed for political shit here in the United States, right? In the land of the free, where we have rule of law, not rule by law. It's, it's disturbing to think about this stuff. And I understand everyone's aversion to it. And I don't want to have to go down this path. But the thing is, nothing has been released that would lead me to think that this was what they say it was. I don't think this was a robbery. I don't know if the DNC or Hillary Clinton or the Russians or the FBI or anyone had anything to do with having him killed. I don't. And I wouldn't push that without evidence. But I ask you to please not push to me the story that he was robbed and the robbery failed so they killed him without evidence. Okay? Do me the same courtesy that I do you. I won't call you an idiot or say that it's intellectually beneath you to believe that he was killed in a robbery gone wrong, even though there is zero evidence that this happened, and there is evidence that points to this being false. I won't criticize you for that, but I ask you not to criticize me for not buying the bullshit, okay? We can have a calm, even logic discussion about this without bringing in emotional arguments and without having ad hominem attacks on people. And the phrase conspiracy theorist has just become something that people throw around to invalidate the ideas of those who say things that they are uncomfortable with without having to actually address the points. It's the same thing as mansplaining, which is an absurd 
ridiculous way to avoid a conversation. If a man says something you don't like, you can just say he's mansplaining, right? If someone says something politically that you don't agree with, you can call them a conspiracy theorist, and that vindicates you of the need to actually address anything that they're saying. No, I'm sorry. We will have a conversation or we will not, but you don't get to just say no conspiracy theorist and not address what people are saying. Let's stop buying the partisan bullshit and start actually talking to each other because that's the only way that we're going to reconcile all of the divides that are plaguing our political process right now and that are plaguing our culture. And it's tiresome. So for racist or not racist, I wanted to do something a little bit different this week. A couple weeks ago, Margot's my girlfriend's uh, father, who's like a spiritual dude, um, very smart guy, very into uh, like Eastern philosophy and uh, a very like thoughtful kind of person, always posting interesting articles and stuff, even though I may not, uh, my politics don't necessarily fall exactly in line with his. I uh, respect where he's at and how he got there. And um, like I said, very, very like thoughtful person, very conscientious person um posted something by a dude named jordan peterson and uh suggested that anyone in his newsfeed on his facebook friends list should definitely listen to this guy he's so good check him out um and i didn't but i planned to as with many things anyone who knows me knows that uh it takes i i I don't really take recommendations very well i kind of like need to figure things out for myself um so uh i started listening to the Joe Rogan podcast recently and I saw that one of his recent guests was this same person Jordan Peterson so I decided to listen to the podcast and um it was wonderful incredible this guy is so smart and if any of you listen to Rogan you know Rogan really plays off of uh very intelligent people super well he knows the right questions to ask he listens enough it was an enlightening podcast to say the least I really highly recommend it to anyone um Joe Rogan Experience, Austin Peterson episode. I don't know what number it was, but you'll figure it out. Um, So I I looked into this guy a little bit. Now, how this relates to racist or not racist. uh, The segment, I mean, I guess we kind of talk about all kinds of uh, prejudice and and the the buzzwords that the left likes to use to silence people who they don't agree with. Um, So Jordan Peterson has been labeled a transphobe. Um, He is a Canadian professor. Uh, He teaches in Toronto somewhere, University of Toronto, something like that. I don't know. Um, yes, it was the University of Toronto, actually. It's right in front of me. Uh, so he is a psychologist and a professor there, and he has studied specifically, uh, ideologies and how they lead to, um, good things and bad things and kind of, you know, different ideologies that have taken place in the psyches of man, humans, uh, over, you know, the course of history. And, um, in this episode with Rogan, he goes in about dominance hierarchies and what leads people to act the way they do and sexual selection and just all of this incredible fascinating stuff he is brilliant um but he has been labeled a transphobe and subsequently a homophobe as well because i I guess you can't be one without the other by uh people on the left because he refuses to use the uh the words z and zer to uh refer to I mean, he refuses to use any of the artificially constructed gender pronouns that people have made up over the last few years. And um, there's some legislation in Canada that says that you need to call people by their preferred pronouns, otherwise you are oppressing them in some way. Um, There's no jail time associated with it, but I would assume if you don't pay the fine, eventually you do go to jail. So there is. uh, So essentially the Canadian government is trying to force people at the point of a gun to use words that don't exist to describe people based off of 
what these individual people want. Um, So he's been labeled a transphobe and a homophobe. And every time he goes to speak at a like university or anything like that, now he is, uh, he's protested and people scream stuff at him and they blow air horns in his ear and they just cause a general um, ruckus. And the reason that I bring up Margot's father is because um, this guy is, like, one of the kindest dudes and, like, most giving, like, kind of, like, you know, generous, kind-hearted people that I've ever met. I mean, he's a real, like, he's really into kind of Eastern philosophy kind of stuff. He meditates every day. Like, the dude's a do-no-harm kind of guy, you know? And there's no way that this guy, I mean, would, would be into someone who is a transphobe, right? Because, obviously, he listened to what uh, Peterson had to say. So he's not... Margot's dad is not posting anything by a bigot, right? So immediately that's a red flag for me. And then I actually listen to this guy. And, um, I mean, essentially what he has to say is this. I'm going to read his quote because I just think it's it's brilliant. Um, he says, I will never use words I hate, like the trendy and artificially constructed words Z and Zer. These words are at the vanguard of a postmodern radical leftist ideology that I detest and which is, in my professional opinion, frighteningly similar to the Marxist doctrines that killed at least 100 million people in the 20th century. I have been studying authoritarianism on the right and left for 35 years. I wrote a book, Maps and Meaning, The Architecture of Belief, on the topic, which exposes how ideologies hijack language and belief. As a result of my studies, I have come to believe that Marxism is a murderous ideology. I believe its practitioners in modern universities should be ashamed of themselves for continuing to promote such vicious, untenable, and anti-human ideas, and for indoctrinating their students with these beliefs. I am therefore not going to mouth Marxist words. That would make me a puppet of the radical left, and that is not going to happen, period. Now, in response to this statement and the controversy surrounding it, the HR department of the University of Toronto sent Peterson two letters of warning, one noting that free speech had to be made in accordance with human rights legislation, and the other adding that his refusal to use the preferred pronouns of students and faculty upon request could constitute discrimination. Uh, Peterson thought that this might be leading up to some kind of formal disciplinary action against him. But in December, the university assured him that he would retain his professorship, and in January of 2017, this last January, he returned to the classroom. So he's still doing his thing, which is great. Um, So basically, it's it's just super interesting to me. It's very interesting to me, because it seems like the more I listen and read different things, listen to and read different things, uh, the more I realize that... All of these people who are showing up and, and protesting at these events, um, protesting people speaking, these Antifa people, these protesters, right, do not hold a candle to the people that they are protesting on an intellectual or philosophical ground at all. I listened to Jordan Peterson for two and a half hours break down in his mind throughout history the driving forces behind humanity and why people act the way that they do and all of this brilliant stuff none of which came from a place of of bigotry or hate or anything he just has a kind of inquisitive and realistic way of looking at things and people on the left can't hear this without yelling at him that he is transphobic and homophobic and it's just not true and it just is is appalling to me that this guy can go and he'll be forced to explain himself to people that, frankly, if they were to listen to what he actually had to say, A, wouldn't even understand it because they are not anywhere near the the level of intellectual 
uh, they don't have the level of intelligence that that Peterson has. And B, if they were able to understand it, they would understand that they're wrong. I'm not going to get into really all of the stuff that Peterson says because it all is just way too smart and I could talk for hours about it. But I would like to illustrate one very interesting point that he makes and then we'll move on. Um, Really, seriously, please, any of you people listening to this, especially if you are a progressive, I implore you to go on YouTube and search some of Jordan Peterson's uh, videos. They're all completely benign they're mostly college lectures at a university um and as you watch them i want you to think to yourself this is someone who has his uh speaking tours protested by people who say that he's a sexist homophobe transphobe watch what he actually has to say he's super interesting and then think and i think you'll find yourself uh coming to the conclusion that if this harmless canadian guy this, this guy who wants nothing more than to read and study and share what he's thinking with other people, um, who I think is beyond harmless, if he can be labeled as a bigot by the left, then anyone can. And then what's the point? How do we figure out who the real bigots are? In any case, um, he made a, an excellent point in one of his speeches that I just want to kind of share with you guys because it, it kind of blew my mind. Um, So the point is he's talking about identity politics, right? And intersectionality, I think the intersectionality, uh, intersexual identity politics, right? So we've got feminism, but then it's, you know, there's white feminism and black feminism. And you have to incorporate when you're thinking about the female experience, you know, if the female in question is black or when you're talking about the racial experience, what religion they are or what socioeconomic class they come from, right? There's all of these different kind of qualifiers um, that shift how your experience is and we don't want to generalize, right? So we need to be intersectional. And that's like the next wave of kind of leftist thought because the, 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 the current wave right now is like, you know, there's the women's march and then there's the people who are trying to get kind of ahead of the curve and they're saying, well, the women's march is actually sexist too because it's the white women's march, you know? So like we're going to keep getting into these narrower and narrower ca- categories, right? And eventually, I mean, where do you draw the line? If you're the one who is saying like, oh, you got to factor in this and you got to factor in that, you got to factor in, it's not just that you're this, it's not just that you're black, it's that you're poor and black, or maybe you're rich and black and you have a unique experience, or maybe you're black and you grew up in a white neighborhood, or maybe you're a mixed race, or maybe you're like an Asian who grew up in a black neighborhood who happens to be a lesbian, you know, it's crazy, who knows, there are so many different ones. So where do you draw the line is the question. At what point is it like, okay, we can identity politic to this narrow of a, uh, group but we can't get any narrower than that you can't you can't draw a line you can't because what's it going to be it's going to be like okay we'll factor in race class and uh sexual orientation and gender but then what what if you get someone who like has a chronic illness you know you're oh yeah i guess we got to factor in that too what about height and age man ageism is a thing sizeism is a thing there's a million different isms and when you get down to it if you take identity politics to their logical conclusion If you take intersectionality to its logical conclusion, where are you left? You're left with the individual. You are left with what the right is holding up above everyone else. The logical conclusion of the identity politics of the left is right-wing, rugged individualism. Isn't that crazy? It blew my mind. Anyway, I I mean... (laughs) 
you guys should really go just watch some of his videos. I promise you probably won't be offended. He's really inoffensive. Okay, so um, the next thing I wanted to do, uh, this is also, I mean, it's kind of like a racist or not racist thing, but I want to start maybe uh, keeping track of all the things that are racist, like the inanimate things that are racist that we're supposed to um, reject or, or whatever now, according to uh, people on the left. Um, so this week I read an article in The New Yorker that called Fidget Spinners the perfect toy for a Trump presidency. So fidget spinners are racist, um, was the gist of this article. Uh, basically they said that, um, because the fidget spinner is something that is you personal and you can't play with it, it's a toy that you can't play with with other people, that it encourages, uh, selfishness and, you know, um, individual supremacy and other Trumpy ideologies. It was a really silly, really reachy piece in the New Yorker. Um, and when I brought it up to Margo, I actually brought it up saying it was a Salon article because Salon is kind of my go-to where whenever I read something stupid, I say it's a Salon article. It's like, you know, it, Salon's like the jello, like the Oreo of stupidity, you know, like it may be like off-brand or whatever, but you just call it jello. So everything that I read, like every kind of HuffPo blog piece, or, um, you know, college article that gets picked up because it's outrageous and stupid enough that the media wants to run it. You just call it a salon article. So I called this a salon article and Margo was like, ah, show me this article. And um, I was like, oh, it's not actually on salon. It's on, you know, probably like Think Progress or one of these other stupid websites. And uh, so she Googled it. And yeah, it's the New Yorker. <laughs> it's the fucking New Yorker. And I guess you have to, I mean you got to factor in that the New Yorker is kind of like tongue in cheek and like creative with all of their writing and, and points that they try to make as well. So like, you know, you can't take this word for word. They're not saying that you're racist if you use a fidget spinner, but I mean, there's still a good four pages in the New Yorker that are devoted to making a case that the fidget spinner is not good because it is the toy of the Trump presidency. And I just think that that's very silly. And there is language in the piece and it's not the majority of the piece, but there is language in the piece that, that says that, the fidget spinner is like a product of, you know, alt-right thinking and nationalism and all of that silly stuff. Um, so yeah, I want to start chronicling these things, um, things that we have to reject, right? So on the list, we've got fidget spinners. Um, there was a great piece on why milk is racist uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is, um, it was run in some California university's newspaper, which is not surprising at all, but it was picked up by someone, <laughs> like Salon ran this or something, um, and it was about how milk is racist. So the reason that milk is racist is because milk is not as good for black people as it is for white people because it's good for your bones, right? It prevents osteoporosis and other bony diseases, um, but black people don't really get those diseases. So um, milk is racist for that reason. Now, the thing is, what I have a problem with, because it's one thing to say, like, yeah, you know, uh, federal nutrition standards um, have not been inclusive, that's true. And we can have an intellectual conversation about that. But um, this piece had phrases like milk chugging neo-Nazis and uh, things like that. And it's just a bit heavy handed. And when you're coming at it, and just, milk is racist. That's an absurd statement. Um, 
anyway, so it's going on the list. So Milk's racist fidget spinners. And um, there was a piece in some journal recently about how parks are racist because parks have trees in them and that's what you lynch people from. But we'll get into that next week. Um, thank you guys all for listening to this. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope I am entertaining enough to listen to for whatever your commute home is or something like that. Again, if you have any feedback, you can email it to oopswrongpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can comment on the SoundCloud link. We might be migrating over to uh, YouTube or a, another third-party host soon because SoundCloud kind of sucks. They make you pay if you're using more than like two hours or something of their server, like two hours of, of audio on their server or whatever. And I only upload waves, so uh, my files are much bigger than what they probably want to host anyway. So anyway, thank you guys. Have a great morning, evening, or night. I'll talk to you soon.